Now I'm going to start off with a bit of a long word, okay, just to warn you. But it's a word that a lot of the adults as well, and maybe some of the children wouldn't know. Bibliolatry. Bibliolatry, if you look it up in a dictionary, is the worship of a book, especially the Bible. I don't know if you've ever had anybody say to you something along the lines of, well, you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and, well, the Holy Bible. If I had a pound for every time someone said that to me, I'd probably have about two pounds. Um, but I bet if we counted what people said behind our backs as evangelicals uh, in private, we'd probably have a lot more. The thing is, though, it's not true, is it? As evangelical Christians, we're not into bibliolatry. We worship the living God. We believe in Father, uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We believe in a God, though, who speaks and has spoken. We believe that God has given us a living book, the Bible. He didn't just give us information, but he gave us it for our transformation as well. So the Bible is a means of grace, a path of blessing. And that's why we're looking at it this evening. We looked at prayer a couple of weeks ago as a a, a means of of grace. But uh, this is the other one uh, that we're looking at uh, in this short series. And actually, when we read the word... God brings us face to face with himself through the spirit. Uh, God meets with us as we read his word. That's why we want to look into the Bible, isn't it? Now, I wonder what those critics would say that call us, uh, uh, it, to say that we're into uh, bibliolatry, what they would say if they read Psalm 119. Could you say that this person is one of those people? The language is oozing and gushing at points. Is a whole chapter of the Bible devoted to the Bible, to the Word. And it's the longest chapter of the Bible, no less. So is the psalmist here, are the psalmists as they write in other psalms, are they uh, bibliolaters? Well, no. They just know something that we often forget. God's Word is a gift that God has given to us to push us on to more life, to maturity and to love him more. So this evening we're going to walk this path of blessing with the psalmist. I'm going to give us three big points, if you like, and then I'm going to give us some practical uh, suggestions like we did last time. So the first thing that we see is that the word of God is true and to be believed. The word of God is true and to be believed. Uh, Let me just read you some verses uh, from the psalms. You don't have to turn to them if you don't want to. There'll be a few in Psalm 119, so it might make sense to stay there, but there'll be other psalms as well. So Psalm 18, verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Psalm 111, verse 7. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Psalm 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then in Psalm 119, uh, verse 142, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. And then verse 151, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. So all the way through the Psalms, one of the big themes of uh, the, the Psalms when they talk about the Bible is that God's word is true. Now, I was challenged a couple of months ago. Uh, on Twitter about the infallibility of the Bible, whether the Bible uh, is true. And the challenge was, without going to 2 Timothy 3.16, prove that the Bible is infallible. Well, I quoted some of these verses from the Psalms. 
And, you know, you've only got 100... Well, you've got 280 characters now on Twitter, haven't you? We only used to have 140. But got the reply back, ah, but that says they're true, not infallible. Well, what did the psalmist mean when he said that they're true? Is there a way that something could be true but not infallible? And the conversation went on and on in the way that sometimes Twitter conversations do. But he wanted the Bible to use his words rather than the words that the Bible had used. And he wouldn't believe it, that the Bible was infallible, that the Bible was true just because the Bible said it. Perhaps the most worrying part of that conversation is that I had it with someone who was in ministry in a church. And someone in a ministry in church not too far away from we are, where we are here. Denials that the Bible is true can be found inside and outside the average congregation. Indeed, even within ministry. But the Psalms are emphatic. The word of God is true. Now, there were not so much of the word of God uh, as the psalmists wrote uh, their Psalms. They had the first five books of the Bible, certainly, and perhaps a few others as well. That explains a bit why it talks about the rules and the laws and all those different parts. When it's talking about those things, it's really the Bible that the psalmists had. And that's why they're referred to in this way. But the point stands firm, doesn't it? That they are true. So all these things are affirming the truth of the word. But why is that important? Why is the psalmist so emphatic that we should believe that the Bible is true? Well, if the Bible's not true, then to be honest, we may as well pack up and go home, mightn't we? I'm shocked, in fact, in some ways that some churches don't. Because when the word disappears, there's no longer really a church, is there? A church is a community of people gathered to meet Christ in his word. So where there's no word, there's no church. And when our confidence in the word is undermined, then everything else in our experience as a Christian is undermined as well, isn't it? Because it's from the Bible that we learn about our faith, that we learn about church, that we learn about Christ, that we learn about God. How can we know if those things are true, if the Bible itself is not true. So hearing the truth is vital to our faith. Faith comes through hearing, it says in the word, doesn't it? And that's before and after we become a Christian as well. Faith still comes through hearing the word. So what should be our response to this word? Well, we're to believe it. Psalm 106, verse 12. Then they believed his words. They sang his praises. If God's words are true, then we're to believe them. The world is trying to sell us all sorts of lies, isn't it? The world doesn't always tell us the truth. They say things like, you know, you need to have a good job to have value. Or you need to do really well at school to mean anything. You need to have this device or this thing to make you happy. The world tells us opposite truths, doesn't it? They say that we're worthless, that we're stupid. And at the same time, it tells us that we're the centre of the universe. The world tells us all sorts of different things, all sorts of lies to us. And actually what we really need is truth, don't we? We need to be told the truth. So we're to believe what God tells us. If we don't hear it and believe it, we'll stray from this path of blessing, won't we? We'll start to believe the lies of the world and of the devil. So when everything else is lying to us, we need the word to stay sane, don't we? To stay on the narrow path. And we'll think a bit about how we can help ourselves uh, to believe the word at the end. But that's our first point. The word is, uh, the word is true and is to be believed. Our second point is that the word of God is powerful and is to be obeyed. The word of God is powerful and to be obeyed. 
Listen to a few verses again. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Psalm 29, verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Psalm 147, verse 15. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. We see from all these things that God's word is powerful. In the Psalms, we read that God made the whole cosmos by his word. We get that in other parts of the Bible, of course, as well. But it's here in the Psalms. He accomplishes his purposes by his word. He commands the forces of nature by his word. He rescues by his word. All these things we see in the book of Psalms. His word comes across as awesomely powerful. And again, we can be tempted to disbelieve this. Not so much the creation bit and all that sort of things, though we can be tempted to disbelieve that. But I mean that we can be tempted to disbelieve the sheer power of the word. We forget that the word of God is powerful. And when that starts to work in our hearts, in our minds, it starts to show itself in several ways. When we start disbelieving that the word is powerful, we start to focus on other things. Now, there are some things that we can legitimately focus on. Uh, So, for example, we can focus on prayer. Uh, Acts 6 verse 4 talks about the apostles devoting themselves to the ministry of the word, but also to prayer. So there are things you can legitimately do. What I mean is that we'll start to put our focus on other things, won't we, if we start disbelieving that the word is powerful. Flashy things, music, methods, anything but the word. We think those things will accomplish God's purposes. Now, those things are not wrong in and of themselves. But two things. One, they don't work. Because actually it's God's word that works, isn't it? And they can support, but they must never replace the word. So that's one way we can start to sort of show that we don't believe that the word is powerful as the Psalms show us. The second way is that we might start to apply extra criteria to the word. So we start to sort of add extra conditions. So, you know, the word will only work if, you know, the word will only work if the sermon is exactly 45 minutes long. You have to time me tonight, I don't know. The word will only work if we read it in the morning. I remember being told that sometimes. The word will only work if it's a word by word in some circles or verse by verse in other circles or chapter by chapter exposition. Now, those things are are great and good, but they're things that are not imposed on us by Scripture itself. They're our own devices that we add to the word. But the word is like a roaring lion. Sometimes it breaks through when all else looks like it shouldn't break through. We've all had that experience, haven't we, of being blessed in places where we didn't quite expect to be blessed. And we sort of thought that we shouldn't have been. But the word works. The word's like that lion And even the reading of the word sometimes, it can hit us like a a ton of bricks, can't it? So don't lose confidence in the word. It is powerful. The lion has not roared its last roar yet. But God's word still works. So what are we to do with this powerful word then? Well, we're to obey it. Psalm 103 verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. 
Now, it's quite hard, actually, to find verses that tell you to, to obey the word in the Psalms, in a way, because actually, the Psalms focus on the way that we don't obey the word, but we should do. Actually, we're to be like the angels, though, and do the word of God. But you get things like Psalm 50, verse 17, where it talks about hating discipline and casting my words behind you. So when we turn from God, we turn from his word. But the word is powerful and it should be obeyed. Again, all the way through the Psalms, it's portrayed as the right and best way to live. The way that God has chosen uh, for us to live. The light to our path, the lamp to our feet, the path of blessing. And again, we'll think at the end a bit about how we can obey the word better. But the word of God is powerful and is to be obeyed. And then thirdly, the word of God is good and to be delighted in. The word of God is good and to be delighted in. Let me just read you from a few Psalms. Psalm uh, 1 verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 112 verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And then back in Psalm 119 uh, verse 39. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Or Psalm 119 verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So the word of God is good. Not just good in the moral sense, though it is good in the moral sense, but good in the sense of excellent, as praiseworthy. The word of God is like honey. It's wonderful. Now, again, bear in mind that this was written when they only had a few books of the Bible. And probably the proportion of genealogies and uh, laws and all the bits we find difficult was probably even higher. And if they can say that about those books of the Bible, imagine what we can say with the whole of God's word. So our response, if the word is good, should be to delight in it. We should love it. The reading of the word shouldn't be a chore, it should be a a delight. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 62. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. That really struck me this week, you know, he's getting up at midnight to praise God. Why? Because of his Bible, because of the word. But if you're anything like me, being told all this, being, you know, talking about people getting up at midnight and being excited. It doesn't come as an encouragement. It sort of comes a bit like a crushing hammer, doesn't it? When we read it, we sort of think, well, yeah, but I don't feel that way all the time. Sometimes reading the Bible can feel a bit of a, a slog, can't it? When you read it at home and, and trying to read it through or hearing it preached at church sometimes. Believe me, I've sat in more pews over the years than I've stood in pulpits. So I, I understand that. I know that the word can feel dry. And sometimes, yep, yeah, it's the preacher. Sometimes it's us as we're sat in the pews. And sometimes it just seems as though it just is. It just feels dry. So how can we delight ourselves in the word? Well, I'm going to finish with a few practical suggestions. And we're going to start with that idea of delighting ourselves in the word. How can we help ourselves delight in the word? Well, the first thing that we can do, there'll be three things for each one. First thing we can do is pray for God's help. Pray for God's help. 
as we come to the word of God, do we pray? I know this sort of feels a little bit strange, because last time we talked about praying, we talked about coming to the word to pray. So you sort of need the word to pray, but you need prayer for the word. It's always really complicated. Do you start with prayer before you read the Bible, or do you start with the Bible before you pray? It gets complicated, doesn't it? But we need to do both. We need to pray. So do we pray as we come to the word? Do we pray for the person who's preaching on Sunday, that the word would be interesting and arresting, that it would be life-changing? I imagine, actually, a lot of us forget to do that, don't we? And then we're surprised when it's not. So we can pray, can't we? Well, what can we pray? Well, John Piper, uh, one of my favourite authors, he has come up with a, a, a thing to sort of help us remember what we could pray. And helpfully, they're all from the Psalms as we come to the Word. And he calls it his IOUs. I-O-U-S. Uh, and I'll read you the verses that they come from. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. What he's saying there is that we come to the word, we're asking God to change our hearts. We're asking God to incline our hearts to the word, to make them uh, feel something towards the word. To actually take our minds and not think about ourselves for a minute, but think about God. That's the I, incline my heart to your testimonies. The O is in Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. We're asking God to open our eyes, to supernaturally let us see the wondrous things that are there. We sometimes feel that it's dry, but it's not dry. We just need our eyes opened to the word. So open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Psalm uh, 86 verse 11 gives us the you. Teach me your ways, O Lord that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. What he's asking, or what we can ask God there, is to unite our hearts to fear his name. Again, it's, it's heart work, isn't it? That actually as we read his word, we would hear God speak. That God would actually be at work uh, as he uh, gives us the truth, as he makes us want to obey him. And then Psalm 90, verse 14, gives us the S. Uh, this is a very John Piper word, but it's there in the Bible. Um, <laughs> Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So actually, we pray that God would satisfy us with his steadfast love through the word. That actually we would be feasting on the word, that actually would feel, you know, that, that nice, uh, nice feeling like at Christmas when you've just had Christmas lunch. When you've just had the right amount of Christmas lunch before you've sort of moved on to the Christmas pudding and all the, the chocolates and things. To be satisfied, to be full, to be content. So we can pray those things before we even open the word. Because that's what God wants us to pray. Those are the things that we're given in the Psalms to pray. So I-O-U-S, I-O-U's. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things. Unite my heart to fear your name. And satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. So that's the first thing we can do. We can pray as we come to the word to help us delight in it. The second thing that we can do is date the word. I couldn't think of a better way of putting this. But date the word. And what I mean by that is don't make it hard for yourself as you read the word. Uh, if you're not a morning person, then perhaps the morning isn't the best time for you to read the word. There's nothing explicit in the bible it says you must read it at a particular time of the day 
It's good to read it all the way through the day. If you can read it in the morning, it's good. But don't aim for that to be your big Bible time in the day if you're not a morning person. Equally, if you're not an evening person, don't make it the evening. It sort of seems common sense, doesn't it? But sometimes we just give ourselves extra obstacles, don't we? (coughs) So don't give yourself extra obstacles. Make it a pleasurable experience. I remember uh, a few years ago going on beach missions and a beach team leader told me that he was having chocolate in his quiet times uh, because it was a, a pleasurable thing. It's, you know, you go out with a friend, you don't, you know, say, right, we'll just have bread and water. You make it something nice to do. Uh, I did do that for a time, but then I found that whenever I read the Bible, I started craving chocolates. Uh, so just be careful. Maybe don't do it all the time. Um, but, you know, why not make it nice? Why don't you book time in your diary? Just like you'd meet with a friend. You know, book time to go to a coffee shop if you like reading in a coffee shop. If you're not into the whole sort of noise in the background, go to a library. Find a translation that you enjoy reading. And can I say, if you're not a teenager, probably don't read a teenager's Bible. And that's the only thing I would say. Uh, I just, uh, I find it so strange when you find the sort of elderly gentleman reading the teen extreme Bible or something. But find something that you find good to read. Date the word at church as well. Read ahead. Get a good night's sleep the night before if you're not good with mornings. Come with an attitude that you're going to enjoy the word rather than endure it and sort of find and pick holes in the word. So date the word. Make good time for the word. And don't make it a a hardship. Make it enjoyable. The third thing and, and last thing for delighting in the word, meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. So Psalm 119 verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. Um, one helpful way that I found that you can meditate on the word. You know that the Bible when it talks about meditation doesn't mean empty your mind. It means fill your mind. The word is related to the word to mumble. One helpful way I found to meditate on a verse or, or a section is to try and uh, go through it bit by bit. So that verse that we just read, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You can go through and emphasize a different word. If you just want to focus on one verse, this is just something that I've found helpful over, over the years. Um, so you might say, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. I will meditate on your precepts. I will meditate on your precepts. I will meditate on your precepts. Do you see how each of those things brings out something slightly different from just one verse? And you can go through that verse and I just find it a helpful way to meditate. If you don't know what it means other than just sort of reading it over and over again or that's a helpful way to really get the meaning out of a verse, to really soak it, uh, or no, not soak it, the other word, um, get everything out of it. And help, um, so that's, that's what we can do to delight in the word. But there are also ways that we can help ourselves believe the word. If you remember, that was one of the other responses uh, that we uh, had to do. The word is true, we're to believe it. And the first thing is that we can pray for God's help. So again, it goes back to those, the way those two things work together. Pray for God's help to believe his word. In the end, it's God that produces faith in our hearts, isn't it? So if we want to believe his word, it makes sense to ask him to produce that faith in our hearts. The second way that you can help yourself to believe the word is to pray the word. 
pray the word and watch God answer those prayers. So in the Bible, there are ways of, of praying through the Bible. We talked about it when we talked through prayer. But one of the sort of side effects of that is if we, we pray through a passage, if we pray the prayers of the Bible, as we see those things happen, it not only increases our faith in the God who answers prayer, but in the God of the word. It reminds us that the word is true. So it's sort of doubling up uh, with the, the, other, uh, the other thing of prayer. The third way that we can help ourselves to believe the word is to talk with non-Christians about the word. And that sounds a little bit strange, but I, I found over the years it's surprisingly encouraging. Because we think, or we're tempted to think sometimes, aren't we, that the Bible is unbelievable. But we forget that actually our friends and our neighbours and our families believe things that are actually far more unbelievable. So, you know, you get an atheist who says, you believe God made the world. But when you actually talk to them, it turns out that they believe that the world was made when nothing exploded and made everything. You think, actually, the Bible's not that crazy, is it? Or, you know, you talk to a Muslim friend who says, you know, you really believe that God has a son? And then you get talking to them and you realise, well, you believe that Moses was Jesus' uncle? That's a little bit strange, isn't it? Or talk to a Mormon. You know, you believe in a God who's three and one? Well, you know, you believe that God gave magic spectacles to a man called Joseph Smith to translate some golden plates that then conveniently disappeared afterwards? I find Mormons, chatting to Mormons actually really increases my faith because you suddenly go, wow, I think I believe some crazy stuff sometimes. I'm tempted to think this is a bit strange. But when you actually talk to other people, you believe that they believe things that are even more crazy. I could go on, but in my experience, defending the faith as you chat to people actually reminds you just how defendable the faith is, just how believable those things are. I remember years ago, uh, a friend of mine at university got really quite upset when her friend on a geography course said that um, there was a mistake in Genesis and that Methuselah had lived into the flood. So it couldn't possibly be a, be a, go- a global flood uh, because, it, you know, how did Methuselah stay alive? So I remember sort of going and we, we, got, we got the calculator out and a bit of paper and we just worked through it. You know, how old was so-and-so, right? When, how old was he when he had a son, right? How old was he when he died? And it was one of those things where we didn't quite know what we were going to find, we all assumed that it was okay, but you know there's that slight trepidation? Anyway, it turns out, no, Methuselah died the year of the flood. Didn't live into the flood. But it's things like that that suddenly make you think, actually, yeah, the Bible is reliable. The Bible is believable. We can believe these things. So we can help ourselves believe the word. And then finally, we can help ourselves obey the word. One of the best ways to help ourselves obey the word is to get to know the Bible. If you don't know what the Bible says, how can you obey it? I remember, again, when I was working as a student worker, um, there was a guy who turned up at church. uh, uh, I just chatted to him, met up with him for a coffee. And uh, it transpired that he'd come a little bit late because he'd been drunk the night before. Uh, I sort of thought this was a little bit strange. So, so, you know, well, why why do you think it's okay? Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about getting drunk. (laughs) No, it does. It does say something about it. So he said that he'd try and get drunk less. That was <laughs> sort of work in progress. Um, but um, if we don't know what the Bible says about things, we can't obey it, can we? So we need to get to know the Bible. One really helpful way to do that is a Bible reading scheme. This is one of those things where it's helpful that this is, you know, the day before they all start. So I've got some at the back. Uh, this is a three-year Bible reading scheme. I found it really, really helpful uh, because... 
even if you fall behind, you can still catch up. And there's a day a week where you get a day off as well. So it's a brilliant way just to get to know the Bible. If we're going to obey the Bible, we know, need to know what the Bible says. And all the hard ones are there in the third year by the time you've already got into the habit. Uh, so uh, you start in Matthew. Uh, and uh, yeah, I commend them to you. They're at the back. But it can be a delight as you read through. The second way that we can help ourselves obey the Bible is to hide the word in our hearts. Again, through the Psalms, that's a theme, that the idea of the word being in the heart. Memorise stuff that you struggle about. If you struggle with lust, then memorise verses about lust and pray that God would bring them into your mind when you're tempted. If you struggle with gossip, memorise stuff about the tongue from James and pray that God would bring them to mind when you're tempted to, to gossip or say something nasty. Choose a, a set of verses that you can learn and then stick with it and attach it to something else. I found that quite helpful. Uh, I was going to tell you that when I was at uh, teacher training, uh, I started learning Romans and used to sort of do it as I was setting up the classroom. So I'd just start reciting Romans 1 to myself, you know, while no one else was there. And I found that really, really helpful. It gave me a time when this is my time when I do it. Judith was telling me before that William Wilberforce learnt the whole of Psalm 119... And he used to do it while walking to Parliament, was that? So, you know, if you have a walk that you regularly do, you could use that as your let's learn a verse walk. And, you know, as long as you say it quietly, nobody will think you're too crazy. Um, but hide the word in your heart. You know, try and remember things that will help you to obey the word. And then the last thing, the third thing from uh, helping yourself obey the word, get over yourself, as we say in Yorkshire, get over yourself. The biggest obstacle to us obeying the Bible is ourselves, if we're honest, isn't it? Uh, Mark Twain famously said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. That's the problem, isn't it? If we could just put into practice what we already knew, we'd be light years ahead of where we are now. Because the problem is that we're not bibliolaters. The problem is actually that we're idolaters with a capital I. Because what we idolise is I, ourselves, our own opinion. We know what the Bible says, but we want to do our own thing anyway. Oh, that we just sit under God's word rather than sit in judgment over it. That we treat God's word as a gift that God has given to us. That we look into the word next year in 2018. Not to be bibliolaters, but to delight in it. To obey it, to believe it. So let's pray for God's help to do that next year. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of the Bible. Father, thank you that we can believe it. Thank you that we can delight in it. Thank you that we can obey it. Father, thank you that it is good, that it is powerful and that it is true. And Father, we, we know all these things, but Father, we pray that you just remind them, uh, mind us of them. Father, we are so quick to forget. So Father, we pray that this year we would really get stuck into your word. Uh, not just as an end in itself, but to know you better, to love you more, to serve you more rightly. So, Father, we pray that you do that work in our hearts, Father. Incline our hearts to your word. Open our eyes. Uh, Father, unite our hearts to fear you and satisfy us with your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.